0: Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown podcast has all of that and it's Chicago based. So you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I'm Justin Kaufman and this is Reset. Today we're talking about women in the workplace. In just a bit we'll dive into the pay gap between men and women of color. But first, this COVID economy has been toughest on working women. In a matter of three months, women have lost a decade's worth of job gains, leading to what's now being called America's first female recession. To help us better understand what's going on, we've got Chabelli Carrizana. She's a women in economy reporter for the 19th. It's a new nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom that focuses on women's politics and policies. Chabelli, welcome to Reset.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
1: Also with us is Jane Olmstead-Rumsey. She is a researcher in macroeconomics at Northwestern University. Jane, welcome to the program.
0: Hi, thanks for having me. Shabili,
1: through the reporting you've done for this nonpartisan newsroom, the 19th, you've looked at a lot at what's happening to women during the current recession. What have you found?
0: So if you look back at the past recessions, uh, typically you'd see that A, men were a larger portion of the labor force uh, and so likely to be more affected, right? And then B, they were also in industries that tended to be more affected. So if you look back at 2008, 2009, construction, manufacturing, those are really the industries that were hit the hardest, and those are male-dominated jobs. This year has really flipped the switch on that. We have uh, the jobs that were affected by coronavirus, by social distancing, right? The jobs that went away earlier this year, hotels, restaurants, retail, those kind of uh, service sector jobs, women really dominate many of those positions. So if you look at all of the jobs that we've lost uh, this year, and there was about 11 million between February and May, around 54, 55 percent of those jobs are jobs held by women. And so you mentioned, you know, we're, we're on a bit of a right track right now with some of the jobs coming back, but that growth has slowed a little bit. And you know, some of those positions that are coming back are still somewhat precarious. We don't know what the next few months hold. We don't know what closures might might still come. So, you know, women are in those positions and they're really concerned. Yeah.
1: Jane, I want to bring you in here. You and your colleagues at Northwestern forecasted this phenomenon back in March. So, so give me uh, some context on how we got here.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So we basically looked at two dimensions of occupations. Um, One would be how able is an occupation to telecommute, because that's been a big predictor of job losses in this crisis and also makes this crisis somewhat unique. Um, And there we found that there was a gap between men and women as well. We found back in March that around 22% of women could telecommute based on their occupation versus 28% of men. So already from there, we expected women to be more exposed to job losses. And then as Shabelli mentioned, the other dimension of occupation that's important is how sort of contact intensive are these occupations. Mm -hmm. And so pre-pandemic, we found that 17% of women were working in critical occupations versus 24% of men. So again, sort of the occupation sectors where men versus women work exposed um, those two genders to different risks in terms of layoffs.
1: And, Jane, when, when we look at that, and, and we know from the get-go, when you look at the data and the breakdown saying this is how the recession should affect based on the numbers, like you, the percentage that you just threw out, how has it played out, though? I mean, as, as we're now in August, which is hard to believe, that you know everything that we were talking about in March is still more, if, even if more prevalent, in August. How has is, how is it played out exactly how you thought it would?
0: It looks pretty
2: much like what we predicted. One thing that surprised me a lot is that the healthcare sector has been um, – Affected so deeply, and that's something we didn't expect that back in March. We thought, you know, health, healthcare is obviously critical to addressing this crisis, and so we weren't expecting to see many layoffs there. But actually, in a lot of healthcare support occupations, mm-hmm. uh, we've seen a lot of layoffs, and women tend to um, be very prevalent in those industries as well.
1: And Trambelli, job losses are higher among women of color. The unemployment rate uh, is is alarming. That the unemployment rate for women of color is higher than. Than other women and also you know, men, white men.
0: Yeah, that's right. You know, the disparities that have long existed in this country, they they grow more stark when we have an economic decline of this nature. So, for example, for all women, unemployment peaked this year around 15.5%, but for Black women, it peaked around 165 For Latinas, it was 20.2%. Wow. So those are astronomical figures, right? And and that, again, it's it's a lot of that uh, occupational segregation where these women work. And then just the safety net that they have. You know, uh, black women are far less likely, women of color in general, far less likely to have uh, savings. They're more likely to have a household income that's far lower. They're more likely to be heads of household. So when they lose their jobs, you know, their entire uh, system sort of comes crumb- crumbling down. Right. And so it's it's this uh, it's this ripple effect. Um, and so, yeah, we have been seeing, of course, again, that uh, women of color have, have been hurt much, much harder. And this is going to affect them in particular for a really long time.
1: And we're going to talk about that and the wage gap and uh, equal pay day coming up here on Reset in just a couple minutes. Do you guys think that that'll be something that you'll see politicians and, and other leaders start to talk about more? The fact that that this should be called the female recession?
0: Look, these issues are huge issues go and we're already seeing some attention on particularly the childcare piece, which is the other aspect, mm. right? It's not just that women are in these industries, but also that they are more likely to take on child care responsibilities uh, when the pandemic hit, when they were sent home much more so than men. And I think Jane's report uh, talks a lot about that. But childcare is one issue that we have already seen a lot of attention on this year from politicians and is very likely going to get more attention as we go into the to the election in November.
1: Well, we know right here in Chicago, I mean, we're and most school districts in this area are preparing for remote learning. And if you pay attention to any parents, uh, any moms out there who are talking about how they're going to balance being essentially a stay-at-home teacher and uh, someone who is working from home, it's near impossible, Jane. And that seems to be something that I'd like to hear more from our leaders on how how they're going to approach that when it comes to this recession.
2: Yes, absolutely. So um, it's a little bit hard to know exactly what's been going on in terms of how couples are dividing childcare in the crisis, but we know that pre-crisis women, um, even in couples who both work full-time, we're doing the majority of childcare around sixty percent, whereas we might expect fifty-fifty. You know, if both are working full time, that would seem kind of the fair division. Um, and so, if that persists with all the homeschooling um, and additional time that parents are now spending with kids, we can expect that that's going to have a huge effect on whether women are able to to keep working. Um, and there's already some data coming out showing that mothers are much more likely to report that the reason that they're not working is because of childcare responsibilities mm-hmm. about three times more than fathers.
1: And that would be that would be another reason to, to look at the job market, look at job losses as well. It may not just be the, the sort of knee jerk layoffs. There are also concerns uh, and choices that need to be hard choices that need to be made by families as they have to uh, find childcare and and deal with the fact that their children are learning from home.
2: Exactly. So that's going to have a huge effect actually on the macro economy and how quickly the economy can recover because we we quite literally have hard constraints on how much time parents can spend working because, of course, kids take a priority and someone needs to be looking after kids when schools and daycares are closed. And so I think policies that help working mothers are also going to help the economy as a whole during this crisis in terms of the recovery.
1: We're going to talk about the gender wage gap coming up here on the show uh, in just a moment. It's Black Women's Equal Pay Day. And women have been struggling with the gender wage gap, and and essentially, as you just mentioned, Chabelli, occupational segregation, for years now. This this recession has reversed. I mentioned this at the top. A decades worth of job gains. What does that mean? Explain that to me. Reversing a decades worth of job gains.
0: So that's just a figure that tries to capture how what the, the number of job losses in that in that time period, and and tie that to to a time frame. You know. Those that decades worth of job losses, we're, it's not going to stay like that forever, right? We're already starting to see some jobs start to trickle back in, but it is going to have a huge effect in, in in the long term. When we look at things like like the gender pay gap, right? So uh, I think Jane's report touched on this too. Whereas in previous recessions, the gender pay gap would actually narrow a little bit because it was men who were out of the labor force for months or sometimes years at a time and then were coming back into positions that were not at the same level they were in previously, right? And so that had the effect of narrowing it a little bit. But now what we're going to see is a widening of, of that gap.
1: Jane, given the economic losses and the ongoing challenges for women in the labor market, how long will it take for women to catch up from these uh, reverses we're talking about.
2: So we forecast that during this crisis, the gender wage gap is going to widen by about six additional cents on the dollar. So as Trebelli mentioned, right now, um, women uh, earn on average about 75 cents on the dollar, and we expect that that's going to decrease to around 69 cents on the dollar. And we expect that it's going to take over 10 years for the gender wage gap to just recover to the level that it was before of 75 cents on the dollar, which, of course, you know, we wanted to close and be a dollar for a dollar. But even just to get back to to where it was pre-crisis, we expect it will take at least 10 years. uh, Yeah, go ahead. Uh, just because we know that losing a job, especially in a recession, has very persistent effect effects on earnings for, for a long time. So losing a job during this recession, we expect, is going to have a really negative impact on women's earnings for a long time.
1: So when we think about the pandemic, what could happen from the pandemic that could be positive? Could we see that the pandemic could actually raise awareness or help reduce gender inequality in some way in the long term?
2: So we talk about that a bit in our study. Um, there's kind of two dimensions of this silver lining aspects of the pandemic that we talk about. So the first one is the sort of telecommuting flexibility that workplaces are offering workers now persists. That can actually remove one of the last barriers to closing the gender wage gap, which is kind of hours and um, telecommuting flexibility for women. So providing women with that flexibility can allow mothers um, to, to work more hours, to stay attached to the labor force, even when they have small kids. Um, and so that's one aspect that might be positive going forward. If if people are allowed to continue teleworking, we might actually see greater women's participation in the labor force. And then the other aspect is that some dads are actually getting much more involved in childcare than ever before. So we identify about 10 percent of couples where the man is now working from home and the wife is working in some sort of critical occupation where she's not at home. And in those couples, the father is, is suddenly the main child care mm-hmm. provider, which has been pretty rare pre-pandemic. And so there's been some studies that show that if fathers get involved, um, say, with paid paternity leave, even for a short time with their kids, that can have very persistent effects on how involved fathers are for, for the rest of their child's childhood. Yeah. And so there we expect another potential silver lining that maybe sort of the social norms about who should be the main child care provider might shift a little bit as a result of the pandemic and, and fathers getting more involved.
1: Chabeli Karazana is the uh, women and economy reporter for the 19th. Also with us, Northwestern University researcher Jane Olmsted-Rumsey. Chabeli, Jane, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for having us.
1: While white women make about 75 cents on the dollar compared to white men, Latinx, Native, and Black women make 54, 57, and 62 cents, respectively. That's according to U.S. Census figures. Black Women's Equal Pay Day is being observed today. And joining me is Sharita Ellens, CEO and President of Women Employed. Sharita, welcome to Reset.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: And also with us, Evelyn Diaz. She is the President of the Heartland Alliance. Evelyn, welcome.
3: Thanks. Good to be here.
1: All right, Sharita, let's start with you. Let's talk with the basics. What is Black Women's Equal Pay Day?
4: So essentially, Black Women's Equal Pay Day is just a day that we take out to acknowledge the moment in time that black women reach pay parity of white men. Mm. So simply put it means that on average black women have to work 19 months to earn on average what white men will earn at the close of 2019. Mm. Yeah, I know it's it's staggering and you know, we talked about also Latinx women, and we know that Latinas, they have to work almost two years. Their equal payday comes at the end of October. And, again, that to just reach parity of what white men earned by the close of 2019.
1: It, it's so staggering when you hear those stats, and it's something that uh, I'd like to hear more than just on one specific day, like today. But but when we talk about that, and it's obvious when you're just talking about disparities, what what impact that has on people earning. But what are some of the other effects?
4: Well, it's earnings, but it's also about your ability to take care of your family, right? So it's also about your ability to earn wealth. So if you really break it down for black women and you take what the loss is, that equates to over $1,900 a month. More than $23,000 a year. and over a 40-year career, you're talking about more than $900,000, wow. so close to a million dollars in lost wages. So the everyday average person can sit down and understand what it would mean if you lost $23,000 or if you had an additional $23,000 yes. in your household income. What does that mean with your ability to be able to save money? What does that mean with your ability to provide a better education for your children or for you yourself to go back to school or for some just to have stable housing and to remove themselves from the ranks of poverty. And I know Evelyn can speak more to that.
1: Sherita Ellens is with us, president and CEO of Women Employed. I want to bring in Evelyn Diaz. She is the president of the Heartland Alliance. When we're talking about Black Women's Equal Pay Day, this issue affects other minority women as well, Evelyn. It's not just Black women.
3: That's absolutely right. Now, I think I, I want to just actually start by saying that people often think that the pay gap is an issue that affects professional level women. But women are actually underrepresented in high wage jobs and overrepresented in lower wage jobs. So, mm-hmm. one way to think about this is we're talking about jobs as cashiers and retail workers, home health aides, child care workers, janitors, housekeepers, restaurants. These professions are dominated by women, and there's still massive pay gaps among women of color versus white men in those same jobs. Um, we're also talking about, um, when I say low-wage jobs, we're talking about jobs that pay a median of less than $11 per hour. Two-thirds of low-wage workers are women, and half of low-wage workers are women of color. So to really understand what the pay gap means for Black and Latinx women, the picture becomes clearer the further down the income scale that yeah, you move in it. Right. At those lower ends of the pay spectrum, you start to see that not only are black and brown women paid less than white men, but the kinds of jobs that they 're working in are notorious for unpredictable work schedules, yep. lack of benefits, right like paid sick leave and family and medical leave health insurance, and that makes it really difficult for working moms to plan for childcare or perform caregiving responsibilities. And worse, it means that a decision that they might make to stay home because they're sick becomes a decision about their economic survival. So Black Women's Equal Pay Day, we need to acknowledge that it's both about unequal pay for equal work and it's about low quality jobs that together conspire to make achieving economic security nearly impossible for Black women and Latinx women.
1: And those issues, uh, they're really the impetus for the Fair Week ordinance that we just passed and and all of the issues that have been exacerbated by COVID-19, because I I saw the stat that it's women, uh, women of color that are uh, bearing the brunt of layoffs and losing jobs in the COVID-19 era. And as you talk about this, it it makes sense where if you're looking at companies that are wanting to lay off because they want to get to their bottom line, it seems the most vulnerable are going to be women of color.
4: Yeah, we know that despite Black women being 6.3% of the overall workforce, they make up 11% of the frontline workforce, these workers that we are calling essential. So one in three which is like 37% of Black women overall are in frontline jobs. So, you know, when you think about how they are being impacted by this pandemic that we're in, not just impacted because they are at risk, right, every day at risk, putting their lives on the line of being infected by COVID, Mm -hmm. but they're also disproportionately impacted by being laid off and furloughed and having the hours cut during this time. But because they are in these traditionally low-paid roles, because we don't value the work these occupations uh, bring to our society, because they're in these roles, they also don't have the ability to save for a rainy day. There was a survey that uh, Time's Up Foundation uh, recently uh, put out. They did a survey of of close to 3,000 adult workers between the ages of 18 and 64. And when they surveyed these women, we knew that 48% of Black women that were surveyed and 51% of Latinx women that were surveyed said, one, that they did not have enough money to cover their basic needs. And also 60% of those black women and 55% of those black women said that they have less than $200 in savings.
1: Hmm. That's Sharita, Ellens. Evelyn, you, you hear these numbers and you hear Sharita rattle that off. And it's startling in the sense that someone needs to be responsible. It, mm-hmm. it blows my mind as we're having this moment of racial reckoning and just this idea that somewhere and somehow an organization, a corporation, uh, a business owner, someone right now is deciding to pay a woman of color less that, I mean, when you just break that down and get simple in that form that, I mean, there's nothing else to point to, but racism.
3: Absolutely. It's discrimination, uh, racial discrimination, gender discrimination. And there are these other systemic barriers too, right? There's the pay gaps, quality of work issues, I know Women Employed, Sherita's organization, has done a really great job of kind of cataloging the ways that the safety net works against women, um, Mm -hmm. the the fact that they need to take time off to have children works against women. There there are actually quite a few factors that come into play, but Heartland Alliance just did a a report in 2019 about poverty, and we took a, a look at all the different ways that poverty affects women in particular. Um, and we concluded that if we could do only one thing, it would be eliminate the pay gap yeah. in Illinois, because that by itself would more than slash in half women's working poverty rates. It would translate into 16 percent increase in women's earnings. That translates into twenty point five billion dollars for Illinois' economy. And 1.1 million children would benefit to reducing poverty rate for kids with working moms by 43%. So we'll be sitting on a panel, Sharita and I, along with some colleagues, having a conversation about how we begin to bring people together and build an inclusive movement to address this issue because it's so pervasive, it's holding so many women back, and Um, I think it's time for us to start holding people accountable for the ways that they fight back against these policies and try to keep things kind of as they are.
1: It's easy for us to say, well, they're the political party of of white men, so yes, they're going to protect it. But you can make an argument that Republicans and Democrats, Democrats may talk about it, but they don't do anything about it. This pay equity, uh, the issue of a, a disparity between men and women and white men and women of color has been on their watch as well. So, Evelyn, when you you think about that, it almost feels like the political parties and and everything, even if it's going to be a a Biden-Harris White House, there's no sense that this is necessarily on the front burner and this is something that our political system and our federal government wants to take on.
3: So there is some cause for hope. Women have been making some progress on this. I think COVID-19 represents a threat. Um, we could really lose a lot of the progress that we made. But there is some cause for hope at the national level, obviously, we saw Joe Biden name Senator Kamala Harris as his running mate. You know, we have our own mayor here in Chicago who's the first black woman mayor of our city. There are women running for office more than we've ever seen before. They're winning. And so there are signs that there's momentum right now around women's issues. Um, The ratification of the ERA in Nevada, Illinois, Virginia, Me Too, Time's Up. But we know what it's like uh, to go to Springfield and try to get legislation passed, for example, that address some of these barriers to women's pay equality. And there are always lobbyists that fight against us and those bills. Uh, Women employed knows this, our coalition mm. partners know this. And I think that oftentimes the bills come up, um, advocates get quoted a lot and we don't pay a lot of attention to who's fighting to keep things the way that they are, but there are absolutely um, lobbyists who are fighting to protect their corporations yeah. or their industry's profits. And so I think the answer there is we need to be shedding some more light on the um, on, who's on this issue, right. 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 And right. They ask tougher questions of those people. Why are they opposing it? Prove that the cons to them outweigh the benefits to workers in the state's economy, for example. We need to be pushing harder. We yeah. need to help others understand why pushing harder matters.
1: Sharita, do you share the sentiment that there's hope, that the idea that there is more light that's being shown on this issue and that the pay gap could be something that as a country, as a world, we put some priority to in the next couple of years?
4: I do. I would hope that many of us that are advocates are always hopeful because that's what allows us to do this work every single day. And this most recent wave of civil and racial unjust that we have seen across the country continues to shine the light on the inequalities that we have in this country that's stopping us from being our best selves. And I do think that there are many people that are motivated. To eliminate and eradicate these inequalities because they know that it's for the better good of the society. It's for the better good of our communities and our families. I share that there are a lot of people out there that are interested in actually changing and not going back to the way things were and reimagining what. Uh, we look like as a society, what we look
1: like as a nation. Yep. So, yep. Well, great conversation. Sharita Ellens is the president and CEO of Women Employed. Evelyn Diaz is the president of the Heartland Alliance. Today is Black Women's Equal Pay Day. Sharita, Evelyn, thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate it. Thank
3: thanks you. for having us, Thank Justin. Have Bye-bye.
1: Us. And that's today's Reset. What would you do without your daily Reset conversation? I don't know either. So make sure you just subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you right back here tomorrow.
0: If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerd podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerd wherever you get your podcasts.